This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Love Letters Live with the favorite person of the week, Janet Galen. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to introduce my guest, who's going to be my favorite person of the week here, Ken Bloom, who came to me here via our mutual friend, Noah Griffin, who's the founder of the Cole Porter Society, which is a whole other wonderful thing to get. Turns out I had seen Ken years ago on stage giving a history. Anyway, so by the time this came, it was familiar. And I want to introduce Ken Bloom, who does so many things. Ken, I have to say, I know how, I probably don't know all of how much you've done, but you do so many things that I want to say, you look like a youngish man. I mean, I would say you'd have to be 130 to have done everything you've done. So let's go pretty to close. you. Pardon? I said pretty close, 130. <laughs> you have done so much. Talk about kind of your own history, for starters, of what you do. But I wonder how you grew up and where and what encouraged this in you. Yeah, uh, so I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know two parents, a sister. I went to the University of Maryland, uh, and I was a painting major. Ah, because I knew I would do theater, but I knew I wouldn't paint on my own, and I was good at painting. So representational I, kind of things. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, so a group of us from the theater department after. Some of us graduated, and some of us did not. Uh, started a theater in And that giggle Washington. was about whom? Excuse me? I said that little giggle was about whom? Well, it's just that not every, some people just left the theater program to start the theater. They never graduated. Oh, I see. Okay. So legitimately. Uh, so we started a theater, uh, the American Society of Theater Arts in DC. In what was an old restaurant, we had 24 seats. But Richard Coe, who was the drama critic at the Washington Post, gave us some really good reviews. Ah, I see. And then we split off and started a new theater called New Playwrights Theater of Washington, uh, which, um, which I think had 125 seats, but we were very successful. We had a show moved to the public theater in New York. Oh, I like that, I, yeah. And we had shows that, um, were, went on to commercial productions produced by us. Okay, but this is you, wait a minute, this is you as an adult man. Right. Can we oh, just- be, Before that? Yes, what were you like as a three-year-old? What were your parents like? Did you, what did you show in terms of ability and what did they do with it, if I may? Yeah, um, you know, my parents moved to Washington during the war because there were jobs and we lived a suburban what they, lifestyle. What did, what did they do? My father, my mother worked for the Washington Post, and my father worked for the government for General Services Administration. He was very high up mm -hmm. in the government. And, and, and are you, do you have brothers or sisters? Or? I have an older sister mm -hmm. who's seven years older than I am. So when did your abilities so, first start to I show? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. After college, I guess. Oh, because I see. So it was that, regular. Everything was routine. You went to school, you came home, you I played see. with your okay. friends. I don't know. Okay. No, um, I was just curious about it. I'm kind of always intrigued by genetic yeah. connections. Oh, and... yeah. No, I don't know. I must have been 
Both my parents are accountants. I have never balanced oh, a checkbook. Good. This answers so many questions. Really? I have. Yes, they're accountants. They live in detail. Right. Uh-huh. And I don't really. You wouldn't Richard know it. Carlin, my co-author, is the uh, detail. Okay, so how, do, how did you go <clears throat> from what you were doing in theater to doing something so historically wonderful? Um, well, so I'm very obsessive, apparently. Yeah. And um, when I grew up in, you know, and I was like in beginning high school, maybe, Corvettes, which was a department store, moved to Washington. And uh -huh. prior to that, we only had a 78 record player. And when Corvettes opened, my father went to the opening day and he came home with a color TV, which we had never had before, oh my. a Polaroid camera, which we had never had, and one of those record players that you open up the speakers and yes, the phone yeah. table goes down. And all of a sudden, the dam burst and I wanted every cast album. Okay. And other kinds of music. And I have to give credit to my mother because I would get an album and play it 400 times over and she never said anything. Oh. You know, so I'm very obsessive about that kind of thing. I, I've but, always been that way about music too. Yeah, over and know. over. And the wonderful thing is today, you can put something pretty much on infinite loop on your own tape in your right, car. Right. Okay, well, go ahead. So, um, but, uh, so there, I always wanted to, I always loved puppets. I wanted to be a puppeteer. And I had the opportunity when I was working at the Smithsonian Division of Performing Arts. And for three years, two of which were on the road, I was a puppeteer with Alan Stevens and company. And this was a big puppet show. Wow. With uh, tape uh, projections, rod puppets. And um, we played every state but two states in the continental United States. So for two years, I was on the road with two other people with this big thing in a van and saw America. Let me ask you something. I've always got questions. My gravestone is gonna, my gravestone is gonna say, I have a question. Okay, yeah. I have a question. What is it about puppets that is so, not just appealing, but riveting? What is it? I know my older daughter used to watch puppet shows and while everybody else was watching, she was watching the strings. Uh. So there is that, but what is it about puppets that is so? I have no, I don't know. For me, it was, it, for me, uh, I'm not a very uh, outgoing person. Uh -huh. I'm basically a shy person, believe it or not. If I go to a party and I don't know anybody, I don't talk to anybody. But with puppets, I could let myself out because the puppet became part of my personality. Okay, so that's, that oh, but maybe audience children and adults right. feel the same way. Because right. my, my younger daughter used to watch Puppet, you know, on Sesame Street, and she was ever right. confused. She thought puppets, are those real? Are, those, are they yeah. real? Right. There is a reality to them. Right. And I think my writing is also an extension of me and lets me be who I am without, you know. Okay, so, so. who is that? I mean, you with that, you're saying who you are. So without the shy streak. Uh, What's, what is, what would you say is Now the, I'm not as shy, but, but what is it? I, I, you know, in terms of my writing, mm -hmm. like this book, I'm a forest person, not a trees person. 
and Richard is a trees person. So Richard knows the dates, the times, who, you know, and I have a lot of friends like that. Whereas I know the concepts, I know the timeline, I know how things move into other things. So I know the bigger pictures and he's really great on the minutia. Okay, he does the bigger things too, but. Well, I'm gonna so talk we to him. Great I'm gonna talk to him in another time and find out about yeah. the part he does. Let me, let me, you know, I, I, let's just say what this is. Let's just say the title of it. Would you like to do the honors and say the title sure. of your book? It's called UB Blake, Rags, Rhythm, and Race. Thank you. It is astounding. I would say offhand, I am not much of a history person. I'm embarrassed to admit that I have always kind of seen it as yesterday's news. And that is because of the way it's usually presented. This kind of thing so has so drawn me into his whole era. And I have to say that my daughters who are musicians, my, my older daughter decades ago sent me a picture of UB Blake's hands at the piano oh, yeah. and said with just love in her, she said, look at those hands and how can you not? It turns out that I, well, you know, so I knew, I, I knew about UB Blake. I thought I knew about UB Blake. No, I didn't. Right. Now I do. I'm starting to. And it is amazing to me. And, you know, the wonder of this, I, I don't think I stand alone, you can tell me, is it is kind of shocking to me how we can live side by side with an entire world and know nothing about it. Right. Not that we don't know the importance of the music that, that from the get-go and before then, that the, the black communities have put onto this earth. I mean, I was, I was raised in a household with a lot of music. I thought I knew a lot, it was, but it was classical, romantic, Baroque, throw in a little Prokofiev and opera. And then I discovered, I think I was in the seventh grade, I heard Shaboom. <laughs> and that just, undid. anyway, it, so slowly, but slowly, but this, first of all, how he was treated is inexcusable and shocking. Right. And it turns out that his mother used to make him put his hands with those beautiful long fingers in his pockets right. because she was afraid people would see them and think he was a pickpocket. Right. Just, just shocking. What, you know, I kind of even don't know where to begin, but the, the preface of this thing, talk about how he was treated as a child and a young man by the world in which he lived? Well, so his parents were, his mother especially was very religious. They were in, I wouldn't say the slums of Baltimore, but the black community in Baltimore is down by the docks. You know, it was very ramshackle. They didn't have running water. This and is in the twenties, right? No, earlier. No, 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 no. He was in the early, first decades of the of the 20th century. Right. He was born in the 1890s. I just remember that, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, things were really different and bad for black people. And, right. and he only knew black people. Just like when I grew up, I only knew white people. I didn't know it. And in Washington, which has a heavily black population, I never met black people, you know, until I got older in college. Right. right. Um, so everybody lives in their bubble. And he was in a bubble. And his father, as I said, was a stevedore working on the docks. And, and one day they rented uh, a uh, 
organ because his mother said, oh, he'll learn the organ. He was attracted to it in the window of a store, was it? Right. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Just for some reason. And she thought, oh, he'll be able to play at church. But quite the opposite. So something about him, you know, he, he got it right away. He understood all the chords and everything, almost sitting well, down at the piano. He I mean, that's like, like music and math. That's kind of in an, right. an innate genetic. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Sure. And there's a story about him as, as a young person in his early even before his teenage years, he would sneak out the window and listen to the sounds coming out of the body houses, as they <laughs> called them, and bars and all. And then he started to play at those places. How old was he when he first did that? I forgot. You've got it in here. but uh, I think you know, like 11, 12, 13, really young. So they let and, an 11-year-old in a whorehouse to play the piano. Why not? He's good. Who cares? <laughs> so, and then he sneaked back in, and his parents wouldn't know, until one day, a, fr a friend of his mother was walking down the street, and his playing was so unique that she knew it was him. Wow. And she came to the mother and said, oh, I heard you be playing at this place. Oh. The mother said, no, you be sleeping. He's in oh, bed. My. He said, no, he's not. And so they confronted him and he admitted it. And his mother was shocked. However, when he pulled out all the money he got, he was making more money than his father. And basically, he was then supporting the family with his father. Mm -hmm. And once he had all that money and his mother knew that he was safe and not... Right. You know, and they not also, and they also right. knew, they knew what a genius he was. Right. Yes. Okay. So, so from there, how did he make it onto, you know, this, maybe you just talk about this a little bit because it is, um, well, a lot of it in here was new to me and the, the entire history of the, the black entertainment world of that era. Right. Because it was completely segregated. So, you know, he joined medicine shows, traveling shows, minstrel shows you know he like ran away from home essentially with some friends and then one by one they dropped out and he was alone and he went through all of that and he would come home on occasion when jobs you know dried up but he was in demand then oh so that's what i older, read about that yeah he became in demand and i remember in the book that he was at in atlantic city mm -hmm. and he ran into a young irving berlin and he taught Irving Berlin chords because Irving Berlin didn't know anything about counter melodies, you know, ragtime or any kind of things like that. And Yubi taught him different keys and how to do things. And Irving Berlin went on to write Alexander's Ragtime Band, which at the time was considered radically jazzy. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, the things that, that change. Also, talk about his theater experience because the expectations of the white world seem a little bizarre. Oh, absolutely. You no, know, there were only there were only certain things that these entertainers could do, and they were a little worried about. Go ahead. Well, the general population was afraid of these of black people just being in their neighborhoods. And, and why was that? Because they were black. They didn't have any experience with black people. They thought they oh, were okay. crooks, okay. or were going to steal them, or rape their daughters, or whatever. You know. So, right. he, so he was really on the black circuit. And by the time Shuffle Long came, uh, came up, 
1921, you have to remember that even Broadway, there had been some black shows around 1906 on Broadway, but it petered out. Um, but when you became, there was no black shows and everything was operetta, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. It was all Victor Herbert and Rudolf Frimmel, you know, and people of that ilk. And when these guys decided to do a Broadway show, having no experience whatsoever, it was a shock to everybody. And, and one thing that leads into what you said, when they were afraid that this all black show would have a love interest, they oh, thought the audience mm -hmm. would riot. And in fact, Yubi was conducting the orchestra. So uh -huh. he couldn't get out, but Noble Sissel, who wrote the lyrics with him, and one of the book writers were at the exit door in case the audience rioted. But they didn't. But they didn't. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, Shuffle Long became the thing. You know, white audiences would go slumming in, in Harlem, they call oh, it. Oh, you know, it was called slumming. It's slumming such in a Harlem, let's go slumming on Park Avenue. Right. You know? My goodness. So they would go to this theater on 63rd Street, which was the very north of the theater district. Most of the shows were in the 40s. And this was the lecture hall. It was never a theater. And they sort of, I don't know, got it together to make a theater. And it was so popular, they had to change 63rd Street to a one-way street because of wow. all the bars and taxis coming to drop people off. So what do you make of this? Because I think still today, people crave the authentic. That's right. They just do. Right. And all the fears that it's not going to, you know, people, people can tell when it's BS right. or it's, you know, imitative or they're trying to pass themselves off as something. Right. Um, but authentic? This was authentic. And right. it was not musical comedy like we think of it. There was a plot. But the book writers, uh, Miller and Lyles, were sort of blackface comedians in Chicago in an all-black theater called the Pekin Theater, which is P-E-K-I-N, like Peking. Mm -hmm. But um, they just brought their act, they did part of their act in the show. And during the second act, uh, UB Blake and Noble Sissel, who had wrote it and performed together, they just did their club act. So it had a plot, but, you know, it's very loose. Right. But the sounds that the white audiences heard were, were astounding to them, you know? So you, you have something in here, you know, I'm not through it yet because the truth of the matter is everybody, this takes some real leisurely concentration. You can't right. read through this right. book because there is so much in it, conversations and details that are wonderful. But you have something in here about Josephine Baker? Right, so, so you know, they were very, um, I don't know, conscious of what white people thought of black people. And therefore, they cast light-skinned black people. So, so Ethel Waters auditioned, but she was too dark. And Josephine, Josephine Baker was too dark. Later, she did go into the show in another incarnation. You know, well, the but, thing about Josephine Baker that struck me when you're talking about white expectations, oh, heaven help us, that she had all these children, but right. she was accepted as a performer because people saw her as a mother trying to earn a living to raise her children. And that made it okay, as opposed to she had a passion for just getting out there on the stage and performing. That wasn't so okay. That's right. But she moved to France. 
Yes. And, and because there was no racism in England or France. And a lot of the people, including some of the cast of Shuffle Along, moved to Europe. Is that right? Yeah. So, so th you know, Nat King Cole was in a very late production of Shuffle Along, even. It ran for so long in various incarnations. And uh -huh. it was a fluid show, shall we say. And he got stranded because all these black shows, you know, they didn't have the money to go from Trenton to the first date out of town with Shuffle Along, except someone on the platform, this guy came up and said, aren't you UB Blake? I saw you in vaudeville. And he paid for the company to go to Trenton for the first production. So, so talk, talk it, uh, about UB Blake's later life. So uh, there was and a for, book And for called, the rest of the people, we'll just have to get this book. Yeah, okay. for the middle part, Right. He was part of the WPA. Cicel and he kept trying to do more shows to varying degrees of success. But he lived in Brooklyn with his uh, third wife, who was really great with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, Robert Kimball and William Balcom wrote a book called Reminiscing with Cicel and Blake. Uh -huh. and for those of you who remember the 70s, there was a ragtime revolution. Oh, I, I have. Scott, you know, the Sting had Scott Joplin music and won the Academy Award. And also there was a whole resurgence and all this, and Yubi was the real thing. Yeah. He was in his 80s yeah. and 90s during yeah. this. And he was rediscovered. And he was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The Kennedy Center did a whole gala around him. It takes, so long. It takes so long for the world to catch right. up, doesn't it? And he was... He was on top of the world. And, and right. a, friend, a friend who he knew started UB Blake Music, a record label. And they put out like 12, 13, 15 albums of him playing the piano. And you know, several of the Shuffle Long people were still alive and recreated their songs. Oh, so this is just wonderful. This book is, has just opened up so many areas and answered so many questions that I actively had and some that I didn't know I had. Right. That's right. So that's right. I thank you. I, I want to say about so about ragtime. Um, I've always been a fan, only because I am a syncopation junkie. Right. And I had heard at some point. I, I and I've seen there's so many good ragtime pianists now, and I heard that there were many baroque pianists who were slipping over to the ragtime side just for the more relaxed right. fun of it. But there's a place in San Francisco called the Reutlinger House. Uh huh that's devoted to ragtime and you know i've been there I'm, some of the talent is just so i guess they know that they have ub blake to thank oh yeah for a lot and part of it is for you is that a lot of original ragtime songs were based on the french quadrille oh. and sections of the quadrille were also the sections of the ragtime music so so that's the that's the attraction for you, whether you know it or not. It's the oh, same I can see it now that you're saying it. You're, what, what's you're, the relationship then like to Ragtime? And what was, did he have any relationship to Vaudeville? Well, so, well, Cicel and Blake appeared in Vaudeville. They did. And, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, before Shuffle Along. Very successful, but they refused to put on blackface. In fact, oh, they appeared in tuxedos. They wanted to show white audiences that black people could be smart sophisticated people so yeah. they were a good image of a black person did i read and in here that there were black performers who did 
cork on their faces? Oh, sure. Bert Williams. Why? They was, were already black. It was, it was just the, it was sort of like a mask, sort of like oh, a clown okay. character. If you were a comic character, if you, if you were a great actor, you didn't do it. Uh -huh. you know? Paul Robeson, by the way, was in the original Shuffle Along. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. One of the, there was a quartet, the Harmony Kings, and he, uh, one of them dropped out and someone said, oh, I know this guy. And they hired him for that. So what, a lot of famous that? people went through Shuffle Along, you know, on the I way to start. Yeah. Is there, is there a line, a timeline? I mean, as we have opera starting from the Greek choruses and kind of working its way through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, is, there, is there a timeline between this and Rhythm and Blues? Well, sure. Or rock and roll. I mean, it seems yeah. like there because is. If you, hear, you know, if you hear, I produced a CD uh, of the original recordings of Shuffle Along with you being the cast and all. And Richard and I wrote the liner notes and we won a Grammy Award for it. Oh, I was going to ask what you won your Grammy for. Yes. Okay. It was utterly shocking to us, but, there we, but we did. Um, and if you listen to the original recordings, the women are singing in an operatic style. You know, there, there's no jazz to the ballads in, in the show. They're straight I mean, ahead. In order and then you hear, I'm just wild about Harry. And all of a sudden, you're in the future. So it's really a transitional show. Yes. It straddled it. So for the white people, oh, they could hear trained voices who had voices like they were used to hearing. And then the excitement of things like I'm just wild about Harry mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like, wow, there's something more in the world. That's, you know, there's something new. And, and the dancing that evolved with it, obviously the rhythm took, the rhythm of the right. music made demands. Right. And then even people on Broadway like Kern and Berlin started having ragtime influences and syncopation in their songs. Even Victor Herbert wrote a, a syncopated orchestral piece. So there is, there older people caught on. Yeah. yeah. Syncopation is so relaxing. I know, it's fantastic, because it adds another layer instead of just the melodic line. Right, and, and by the way, I'm wondering, I think, you know, a lot of, for me personally, my favorite music in any genre mm -hmm. is with the, the music with the most motion. Right. Which I once read is what um, kind of defines the funeral march, is oh, yeah. there is no motion, right. as in life is over, there is no, yes. So what was his personal, you said he was married three times, right? He had some. Right. He uh, had a, uh, his last wife, Marion, was fantastic because if you go to the um, Maryland Historical Society where his papers are, uh -huh. they threw away nothing. We found stuff from 1903. Oh, I, mean, I was going to ask you about that. Most okay. of the research of the book came, we went, I went to the Library of Congress, we went to the Schoenberg Center, which I is a know black that. library yeah. in New York, but really the Maryland Historical Society has all his papers, all his contracts, who owed him money, all the letters. letters and that's because she kept them, right? Because she kept them. Yes. What about letters? He, they have them all. I, you know, I'm asking that because I'm basically about letters and love letters, and yeah, right. um, I have noticed, as I think everybody has, that our most reliable history, this kind of detail, is 
from letters. People express yeah. themselves. So do you ever write letters? Very seldom, no. I'm sad. So, I, I do a lot of postcards when I'm away. Oh, that's fair. And I don't write letters because we have the internet. That's sort of letter writing in today's world. For well, it is sort of, it's, well, it's definitely message sending. Right. For sure. And, and I, use, I use email like it's really a letter, but you know, there's only one thing missing and that is the handwriting. That's right. Which I think tells a whole other tale. So does UB Blake, I'm sitting here, I'm such a busy body, but I'm going to say, does UB Blake have, are there children and grandchildren around? He never had children. Oh, he didn't. No, I missed that part. Okay. Yeah. So he never had children. So there aren't. So, and okay, so you wouldn't be able to write a letter to them. Okay. No. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So you know, because I'm always thinking, it's such a nice thing to do, to be able to um, write a letter to somebody who's gone, somebody you admire, right, right. and say, you know, I'm writing this. I'm writing this to you, but I'm going to send it to you. I, you know, right. Noah Griffin wrote a couple of letters. And he sent it to places where they would be archived. Oh, wow. I think that's I, okay. I well, that. if you ever feel like doing something in your handwriting someday, there's, I know that there's, right. there are many opportunities mm -hmm. for you. What's next? Uh, so now I'm working on a complete lyrics of Sheldon Harnick book, who wrote Fiddler on the Roof and The Apple wow. Tree and Rothschilds and a lot of shows. He are you doing that with Richard Carlin also? or? No, just myself. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Sheldon is 96. Wow. And I have songs by him from 1944, when he was in the army, all the way into the 2000s, he was still writing. And even now he comes up with ideas at, at age 96. So there's a love letter waiting to happen. Yeah, absolutely. To him. Okay, you've got possibilities if you wanted to. What? Pardon? To him. Oh, in 1943 and all this and he knows he remember his memory of that is fantastic nice and he's a very nice guy to boot he he has an ego everybody has an ego but but he knows who he is let's say but he doesn't flaunt it or he's just a regular okay, guy. So, but you're making a nice distinction i mean it's, it's fair enough yeah. to have a good sense of yourself and who you are actually it's like critical right to have that without being nasty or using it in a manipulative right. way. No, he's completely oh, not like that. You're a lucky man. Yeah. Well, I, I knew him, so I chose him for, you know, the right reasons. And of course, he's, he can't wait for it to be out. So I, I, I don't know. I haven't counted the songs, that, but I'm sure there's over 2,000 songs. Where can we get a copy of that, your Grammy award-winning, I mean, People aren't selling vinyl anymore. How do we get a copy of well, that? It's a, it's a CD. If you go, if you look up Shuffle Along in Amazon. Oh, you can still get a CD. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with our liner notes. And then we did a second. Where do you play CD. a CD anymore? Excuse me. In a, in a CD player. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Okay. Well, if not, you can. Oh, I've got my car. Can, in the car. Cars right. still have them. Okay. Or you can stream it through your computer. Yes. Okay. So you can stream it and then put it on your own collection. And, right. Okay. That's, right. that's good to know. On I iTunes. You can put it on iTunes. Or you can get it from, from okay. iTunes. I'm going to so do it. I want to hear that. Okay. So we did a second CD of, of a show called Shuffle Along of 1950 that Cicel and Blake wrote, including some of the early songs and some new songs, but it, it never really happened. And it sort of morphed into 
uh, Shuffle Along of 1953, which was a show that anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Pearl <laughs> Bailey was in it, and then she quit, and oh. then all the costumes and sets were in a fire, and they burned oh. down, and it was a disaster. But we found this um, demo recording of Shuffle Along of 1950, and of course the sound is, is so much better than the 1921 recordings. Sure. So it's a really interesting. Just it's wonderful that so little gets lost anymore. That's right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for doing this with me. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, you know, I have learned, I'm telling you, I've learned so much about the world I live in. And it's so easy to become, it's so easy to be ignorant. Right. We think the world that we inhabit is the world. Well. And, and right next to us, or 50 right. I mean, blocks away, can be a different world. Right. Right. And, and a powerful world. Right. That we wouldn't be what we are without them. Without it. That's right. Right. You know. So, and I understand that you can't teach everything in school. I mean, it's what, a seven hour day in school? Right, right. There's only so much you can do. And although we could, they could rearrange the music curriculum a little bit, but um, there's only so much you can do. But we are so blessed right now because anything we want to know about, we can just go Google right. and we can make up for everything that they, oops, forgot to tell right. us in school or didn't have time right. for or didn't know them. Or something deeper. Yes. You know, right. School gives you a little, like a music class in school gives you a taste of things, but then you can, if you like it, you can hear everything. Well, and today they can require that you go look further. Right. I mean, they used to send us to the library for things and that, but yeah. it, you know, this is better. Okay. It is better. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Well, I'm going to look forward to talking to Richard next. Right. He'll tell you all the things I said wrong. So it's okay. Oh, good. Good. And then yeah. you can come back and Correct that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll make a series out of it. Yes. It'll be great. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Well, well thank I hope to see you in San Francisco. If I, you know, I did a documentary on Gwen Verdon. I know, I heard, yeah. Which right now is at the San Francisco Dance Festival. Wow. Okay. So if people want to get down to the festival, they can see this documentary. Okay. That's nice to know. I, I, I would I, be there, except. Right, of course, except I, I remember her. I saw her in Damn Yankees when I was like 10, oh, whatever it was. Lucky. And I did a whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. Uh -huh. If you were not in the room and you could see that I was a flat-chested 11-year-old, you uh -huh. would not know. <laughs> she was, and I, by the way, I still have that music in my car. Oh, great. From, oh, from Damn Yankees. And I went and got myself the, the VCR because I didn't want my granddaughter to grow up without knowing it right and you know what i discovered tab hunter mm -hmm. first rate you know the things that you grew up with you kind of take as the wallpaper i know right we uh -huh. interviewed him right his last interview we did really he was so nice and so loving of gwen and talented and really talented right right okay well thank you opening okay, eyes everywhere you go i appreciate all right. it all right i'm gonna say goodbye to everybody now I'll talk to you later and often in life, and I hope to see you in New York one of these okay. days also. Or I'll come out there. Okay, so you get to me first, I get to you first, we'll get together. Whoever, right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Double thanks.